But uh, even when he was clearly not 100%, I think it would be a disservice to Zion to call him, you know, his performance, a Sonic hamburger. What's up, guys? Welcome to Birdwatch. I am Christian Clark, the Pelicans beat writer for NOLA.com and The Advocate. Coming to you today on Thursday morning with Jeff Nowak. Hey, y'all. Incredibly, there are four days until the Pelicans' first preseason game. Um, Pretty amazing considering the fact that they've only gone through four days of training camp with Stan Van Gundy. Um, (laughs) I I don't know how they're going to need to learn what they need to learn, absorb what they need to absorb in time for these preseason games. Um, It's... Like just the compressed nature of this whole thing because of the pandemic, I think is going to make the start of this season really interesting. But here we go. Uh, we're going to do this thing. Pandemic be damned. Um, last week, we got the first half of the schedule, um, 72 games this year. Um, and we know what the first 37 games are going to look like for the Pelicans. Um, Jeff, predictably, there was outrage that the Pelicans are going to be on national TV so much. Uh, They got 19 national TV games, uh, 14 if you take out the NBA TV games, which, you know, are kind of sort of national TV games. That that 14 number is tied for the second most of anyone in the entire league. Um, Are you, I mean, nationally, there was like this sense of like, what did the Pelicans do last year? I mean, they finished in 13th place in the Western Conference, what are your feelings on the Pelicans being broadcast everywhere all the time? Uh, well, it's not about what the Pelicans did last year. It's about who watched the Pelicans last year, which was a lot of people. Uh, so I don't think it's about the results. It's about the ratings. And if they're still drawing them, they're going to get on there. But yeah, And that's only the first half. So literally half of the Pelicans games are going to be on national television. Because it's 37 games released, 19 games on national television. So actually more than half. Uh, and yeah, it's I'm not physically physically prepared to watch basketball. I don't know about you. It's, <laughs> it's just not even like in my zone of consciousness. I, uh, I've been trying to watch some college basketball and it's just like, it's just weird. Nobody seems ready to play. None of the top 25 teams seem good because they're just not ready half the time. You'll be like, oh, this is a game tonight. It's canceled because there's a coronavirus issue. I went to go watch a UConn game yesterday. They were supposed to be playing um, NC State. And I look at my phone. I'm like, oh, not happening. <laughs> it's canceled. <laughs> they tested positive. And it's got to, like, that's got to be a concern for the NBA. Like, there's a realistic possibility they get three games into the schedule and half the teams have coronavirus, like, issues and they have to stop. So, like... I don't even know what to what to think about the season as scheduled because we might not get anything remotely close to what the season is supposed to be right now. Yeah, I've probably watched five or six college games so far, and that's just been a weird experience. I mean, atmosphere, I think, matters even more in college basketball than in the NBA to me. Like with the NBA, I can sit back and, you know, even if there's no fans in the stands, I can sit there and just appreciate the incredible skill level like you know there's probably one or two guys in the court at all times who can hit like a 30 foot step back three and you just don't have that in college um but yeah I mean watching the start of this college season it makes me a little bit nervous about the NBA trying to do this thing I mean as we said a couple times 
I mean, the difference between football and basketball is, you know, if, if three or four of your guys on a basketball team, you know, get the virus, like that screws everything up. I mean, there just, there just aren't the number of bodies like there are on a football team. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely concerned about that. Well, there's also uh, the a major difference in terms of co- the NBA, even from college, is you have these extended road trips in the NBA that I don't know how you manage. Like, there's the Pelicans have a road trip in uh, I don't know January, maybe. Well, uh, I don't know, but it's seven games, and they, I think two of those games are in Utah, <laughs> but they end up in five different cities in like a 14 day stretch. And it's like, how do you manage that from a, from a mitigation standpoint? You know, you're going to be in different hotels. You're going to be on planes. Like what happens if a player tests positive halfway into that? Everyone's in these small groups. How do you possibly contain that? I don't know. And uh, they're trying to do, they're trying to do certain things with the schedule. Like, obviously I mentioned they have that back to back, set in utah which is kind of a weird thing to have two consecutive road games against the same team yeah it's like a series in baseball yeah yeah (laughs) and that and i think i think realistically that makes sense you have there's a set um where both la teams are in new orleans for back-to-back pelicans games which is another good kind of way to do that um but yeah I, i don't know i don't know what you do uh in these circumstances and and it's got to be a, a toll on the players too like consider you know that road trip where they know the same issues that i'm spelling out right now they're basically going to be locked in their rooms the entire for 14 days and then playing basketball it'll be like a bubble in five different cities um so that, that's got to take a toll on the players like does that hurt the quality of basketball um, I don't know, but there's going to be a, a lot of a lot of weird circumstances throughout this entire thing, and that's not even and that is completely independent of the basketball itself. So uh, I guess we could talk about that too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think it's hyperbolic to say this is going to be one of the most difficult, stressful road trips in NBA history. I mean, seven games—that's that's insane. I mean, you know, six or seven is the upper limits of of what I've seen in terms of consecutive games on the road in my time covering the league. Um, I mean, the day they leave to the day, you know, their last game is that's, I mean, that's two weeks on the road and you, you've got to be on high alert the entire time, as you said, of, I, I got to worry about this virus. Like, I mean, if, if I was going on that trip, like I would just think I'm going to be locked in my hotel room whenever I don't have to be on the basketball court. Like that's not very fun. I mean, but I'm just going to isolate myself. I don't know what else I can do. Um, it's, it's, it's just not going to be a fun trip. It's, you know, I would be a little apprehensive about being on the road for that long. At least Um, at Disney world, they had that one fish that everyone caught, you know? (laughs) Yeah. The one that, that Ben Simmons like accidentally threw on the concrete. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That, that one fish, he had a, he had a difficult like two months there. (laughs) I hope his lips have healed. I hope he's okay. Um, but just kind of wrapping up um, some thoughts on the schedule and the Pelicans being on national TV every other game. Um, look, my two cents is that as long as Zion Williamson is healthy, fans are not going to complain at all. And in fact, will be happy. I mean, look at his NBA debut, uh, the one he scored 17 straight in the fourth quarter against the Spurs. I mean, it was ESPN's highest rated game of the season, excluding the Christmas Day slate. Like, we just have 
enough evidence, I think, in the limited number of times he was on national TV last season and then at Duke that he is this incredible draw. And I think what is interesting about him is that, you know, he the way he appeals to not only like hardcore basketball fans, but like casuals. Like he can really, I think, draw in casual fans in a lot of in a ways that not a lot of other people can. I mean, I, I saw it when I went to Madison Square Garden last year and saw when the Pelicans played up there. I mean, he was just warming up. He wasn't even back on the floor yet, but like there was hundreds of little kids like screaming their heads off like they were at a Frozen concert or something just to watch him warm up. I mean, it's insane. I mean, just the way that combination of of size and athleticism appeals to even like, you know, a seven-year-old brain, I think is pretty crazy. Yeah, and you know, the one of the reasons that when he got on TV last season, he was such a big draw is because people had, the anticipation was building. It was like uh, when Sonic, the the restaurant chain, they never had restaurants in New England when I lived there for like my entire childhood. But for <laughs> whatever reason, they kept advertising for Sonic during like all these sporting events and everything. So I saw Sonic ads for like three years and never got to go there. And then, boom. A Sonic opened over in Wallingford, which was like two hours away, and we were like, "We're going. I'm tired of this. I got to see if it's worth the for worth it." And we went there, and there was like they had rented the property next door for overflow uh, parking, <laughs> and it was like a four hour wait to get a just very average uh, hamburger and tater tots. And I think that's the same principle that you're looking at with Zion Williamson. Not only were people anticipating him play, they didn't get to see him for the first half of last season. And then when they did, they saw him for like 18 minutes. <laughs> and then he got hurt and he played like 24 games. And so now you have an, that anticipation has spilled over to this season. You know, is he going to be uh, in shape? Is he going to be that Zion Williamson we keep hearing about? He was the number 19 ranked player in ESPN's rankings after 24 games. So like it's it, there's there's so much build up to not only last season, but also this season, because you can say last season we didn't really get to see the real Zion. Um, and until the until that uh, that that scenario plays out, you're going to see these like crazy national lineups. Um you also have a team that's traded star player the last two years. <laughs> so there's all of these storylines coming back. You have Drew Holiday coming back. You have Anthony Davis coming back as a title with a ring. Uh, it's There's a lot to uh, to market if you're from, from the NBA perspective. I feel like I need to stay on this Zion Sonic uh, metaphor <laughs> here real quick because I get the anticipation part and you're hearing about it and you're hearing about it. But uh, even when he was clearly not 100%, I think it would be a disservice to Zion to call him, you know, his performance, a Sonic hamburger. I Like, I'm from Texas. I've eaten Sonic many times in my life. I mean, that was like, even even not 100%, that was like a steakhouse hamburger. Okay, but New England doesn't do fast food very well. Okay. Keep that in mind. We don't have the Popeyes. We don't have the, the uh, Raising Canes. We have very, <laughs> very bad fast food. So, well, there's no Chick-fil-A. This is this is like the peak. So, remember, remember, I didn't grow up here. I ate a lot of fast food growing up. Uh, I hardly do anymore, but I could probably talk to you for three hours about fast food and just give you fast food takes. I think one of the funniest things I see on social media is when, like, just a mediocre fast food restaurant opens in a region of the country that they don't normally have 
that type of restaurant or that restaurant specifically. And there is that, that like four hour wait, like, you know, Sonic, Sonic is perfectly fine. You know, there's nothing exceptional about it. It's like solidly in, it's in the mid tier of fast food restaurants. Like there's no reason you should ever wait for four hours for a Sonic hamburger, you know? Oh, I agree. We yeah. dr- And we drove two hours to get there. Yeah. And there's also, <laughs> like, even when I see In-N-Out open in part of the country that's not the West Coast, and I see people, like, going nuts, I'm like, it's, it's like, a good hamburger. Like, sure, In-N-Out is above average, but, like, am I going to wait three or four hours? Like, no, that's ridiculous. What are I we think, doing? I think Whataburger had a situation like that when it opened in Metairie, uh, uh, I want to say a year or two ago. There was like crazy lines, even here. So I don't know what it is. I think it's that market. It's the marketing. You, you hear about it and you're just like, I got to see if it's any good. Um, and yeah, I'm going to stick with that, uh, with that, with that analogy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the number one Whataburger fan ever. There was one like two minutes from my high school. And after every high school basketball game, like everyone on our team went and ate there. So I ate there like twice a week for four straight years in high school. And I would never wait hours to get a Whataburger, you know? Um, but, okay. Please please don't be that guy that's like, oh, my God, a Raising Cane's is opening in Iowa? <laughs> like, I, I'm going to just burn my whole afternoon doing this. There are very few foods I think you should be willing to do that. Maybe, like, some really good barbecue. Maybe I would do that for... Um, but there's, a, there's, there's just so many options, you know? If they open a cookout here, I will be there, like camping out the night before <laughs> best restaurant best fast food place there is anyway okay i'm not bringing you any supplies on your your <laughs> cookout camp out uh just letting you know cookout camp out. yeah I'm, I'm not helping you at all you're on your own so bring enough water <laughs> um so some early takeaways from these first four days of training camp um man i'm gonna be this local media guy who's who's hyping up zion um I think he's going to look really good this season. I mean, just my impressions from getting to hear him talk a couple of times, getting to hear teammates talk about him, just kind of what I'm hearing behind the scenes. I think that Zion learned some of the right lessons from last year. I think, you know, he really has put in the work to get in better shape, which was just, you know, one of the biggest questions, if not the biggest question coming into this season. Like, is he going to take personally what happened last year and just get into killer shape? Um, by all accounts right now, he looks really good. We've done this before where that seemed to be the case, you know, in that, that training camp leading up to the bubble. But um, I'm really interested to see what we're going to get from him this year. And, you know, I think one of the biggest you know, takeaways early on is that Zion is not going to be this back back to the basket guy that he was last season. I mean, you can look at the numbers from post-ups last year. Only six guys posted up more than Zion, and they were all true centers. You know, Jokic, Vucevic, Anthony Davis, um, Carl Anthony Towns, kind of guys like that. You know, all of them were six foot ten or taller. You know, Zion's six foot six, six foot seven. The Pelicans have kind of said from day one, like he's not a center, and we're not going to treat him as such. So this year, I would kind of expect to see him, I guess, sort of attacking outside in a little bit more. Um, what do you just think about? you know, using him in that way. Well, I think they're going to have to. If if they if the Pelicans came back this season and continued to try to run him in that, you know, uh, mega low post, like 
ground and pound style offense. I don't think I think they would be doing Zion a disservice in, in you know independently of the roster itself, which would also probably struggle to try to win in that uh, in that environment. Zion's twenty years old. I think he might be twenty one. I don't even know. I've lost track of all all sense of time, but he still has so much to expand so far as his NBA game is concerned. He can be this foundational type player for your team. You just have to make sure that you that you teach him how to play basketball. <laughs> like I, I think so much about Zion is like he the things he can do without thinking about it, without even trying, are incredible. So can you get him to do the things that take, you know, a little work? Can he refine his jump shot? Can he uh create some dribble moves? Can he force people into situations they can't defend and don't have any idea what's going to happen. Uh, that's what you got to see. And, you know, I obviously you've been a little, you, you're more in touch with the team than I am. I'm still, I'm all over the place with the saints and LSU and trying to figure out what the hell's going on. But from a, from a fan's perspective, I think, yeah, I, I, I like to agree with what you're saying. I just, I've been burned too many times before when it comes <laughs> to the Pelicans and, until I see it, it's hard to it's hard to believe that things are going to look different. Yeah, no, I I mean I think that's perfectly fair. Like we can say all this stuff right now, um, and I think the thing with Zion too is like it can change so quickly. Like he just has a body type where you know he's a guy who can put on like fifteen or twenty pounds in like a week if you know for whatever reason he's not able to be working out. Just an incredibly unique body type. So yeah, I agree that like we just have to see this on the court and I need to see this for a stretch of 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 games um, before I really start to buy it. I mean, that's, that's perfectly understandable. Um, I think, you know, one of the most amazing things about Zion as a rookie was, you know, how much he was able to score, how efficiently he was able to score. And like he had, his bag was not deep at all. Like his bag was like a tote bag or maybe it was like a plastic grocery sack. Like he just, he just wasn't, you know, pulling out very many different moves. It was just kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to like take one dribble and go right to the rim, you know, starting from the post. And he was still really good. And like, I, I think there's a lot more in that bag and I'm, I'm hopeful we see it. Yeah. I don't know if it's even fair to call it a bag. It was a, uh... well, I think I called it a grocery sack by the end of right. it. <laughs> <laughs> it was more like something you wrap. It was like tinfoil. You wrapped your lunch in like. <laughs> it's there's no mystery what's in there but it could still be good um yeah i think that there's a there's a lot with these pelicans that you're gonna you're gonna want to watch beyond zion williamson but he's it's funny because he's gonna be the guy that gets the headlines he's going to be on all the promo material he's the show uh but it's like there's also this very real scenario where he's great and he does everything he needs to do he's on this great upward trajectory and the pelicans still struggle cuz everything else goes wrong yeah um let's let's kind of i mean we've talked about the top end guys a lot how you know it is like zion and brandon ingram the creation duties are theirs this season like they don't have the training wheels that that are drew holiday to be the guy where they throw him the ball late in the possession they say drew like get to the rim and get your own shot, get fouled or like drive inside and kick it out and create a shot for somebody else. Like all of that is on them this season. Um, but I want to kind of take a wide scope view at the roster as a whole. Um, you know, I was listening to Zach Lowe's podcast earlier this week. Um, and you know, one of the concerns he raised was just 
the Pelicans' lack of depth. Like, you know, one of the, I guess, side effects of, of trading for Steven Adams, I mean, he's paid a, a very large figure this year that kind of um, limited your ability to fill out the, you know, maybe those 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 spots um, with guys who are m- more than minimum players. Um, here's kind of my view on where things stand. I think the starting five is pretty much locked in. Um, they've been upfront about that. It's going to be Lonzo Ball, Eric Bledsoe, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Steven Adams. Um, you know, After that, I think J.J. Redick and Josh Hart are two very dependable guys off the bench. I think you know your eighth and ninth guys uh, in some order, at least to start the season, are Nicole O'Malley and Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I mean, when I just look at this roster, like I feel pretty good about the first seven guys. And then after that, I start to get a little um, concerned. I mean, is that is that fair to say that they've got a really solid seven? And then after that, uh, there's a lot of question marks. Uh, yeah, I mean, the there's they're overloaded with guards, obviously. You didn't even mention Kyra Lewis, the 13, number 13 pick. Who knows if he's going to play on the... Um, Pelicans, if if they're gonna try to ship him down to the currently unnamed uh, <laughs> uh, G League affiliate, um, yeah, the Erie BayHawks and then the Birmingham whatevers, uh, they want your input on that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it was. Uh, I think Mason Ginsburg tweeted they should be called the Pelicans because these are a bunch of players that could not make the Pelicans. <laughs> Dear Lord, uh, which I that's just funny. mean. I agree, but I, I still think it's funny. <laughs> I'm in, I'm down for it. You know, most good teams don't run really deep rotations. Um, and I don't think that if you, if you have a solid eight, not group of eight and nine, I think you're fine. Uh, and especially if you have a lot of young players who it's really just a question of whether they could develop. I don't think that's going to hurt you. Um, but the, the issue is going to be front court depth because I don't think that they have enough of that. Right. And yeah, you have Jackson Hayes, you have Hernan Gomez. And then you have a bunch of guys who, who knows? Uh, and, and I actually include those two in that group, even though I didn't initially. It's it's going to be a question all season, especially when they run into run into guys or teams with really good wings. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the backup center, it's either going to be Jackson Hayes or Willie Hernan Gomez. Um, we'll see what happens there. I mean, Jackson Hayes is going to get pushed, I think, in a way and have to earn his minutes that he didn't last season, which frankly I think is going to be a good thing for him. I mean, or, you know, creating that sense of urgency is a good thing for him. Um, But you're right. I mean, the question is really when I look at this roster, like how do they contain elite wings? I mean, how do they guard LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George? Like, you know, even Luka Doncic isn't really a wing, but he's big. He's six foot seven. I mean, you know, the, the first answer to that is like nobody really guards these guys. Like they get, they score whenever they want, but I mean, how do you at least try to limit them and make life hard at them? Um, I actually asked Dan Van Gundy kind of that question yesterday. Um, and, you know, obviously it starts with Brandon Ingram. Like, he's just going to have to defend in a way that he never has um, this season. Like, there's, I don't think there's really anywhere to hide him. Um, there, there's just not that option this season. Like, there's no Drew Holiday to, like, stick on Paul George in the fourth quarter of a tight game against the Clippers. I'm just thinking back to one of those early season games against Los Angeles. So it's B.I. Uh, Stan considers Josh Hart the backup small forward. Um, Josh at six foot five is probably a little 
undersized to fill that role, but I mean, I think he can. He he's a guy who plays bigger than he is, um, and even at times last season he was guarding power forwards, which was pretty nuts. Um, and then after that, you know, it tails off. Like Stan said, Sandarius Thornwell is a guy you maybe look at. He's six foot four. Wenyan Gabriel, who's six foot nine. I mean, maybe you can slide him over to small forward. Then you gotta kind of worry about shooting a little bit. Um, he even threw out Lonzo Ball at six foot six as a guy who's gonna have to guard up a position at times. Um, you know, this this league is all about like versatility on the perimeter, like big versatile players in the perimeter right now. And um, you know, the Pelicans just have a lot of guards and a lot of centers. It's just, you know, I think it's a you know a, a good roster, but I think um like that's that's a clear area of concern going into the season. Yeah, but that that is also true of last year, right? I mean, they they didn't ex- exactly have a roster that uh, made a lot of sense from a defensive standpoint. It, I mean, Drew Holiday, as good as he is at the two, he's going to be an undersized two um, in terms of you know when you're going up against a Paul George or uh, you know a who else is that tall too? I don't even know. Zach Levine, I guess he's a point guard, but it's a still a, a similar type player. Um, I mean, they had, I, I can't ever get the image out of my head from a few years back of Drew Holiday just trying his hardest to guard Kevin Durant and doing okay. Uh, <laughs> but that's, to me, that's always been the Pelicans is just trying to, yeah. trying to guard from a, from a disadvantaged uh, roster position uh, from a roster standpoint. And I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know if the size is going to be as big of an issue as it seems right now. I mean, you look around the NBA and it's just, you know, the, the Rockets were able to successfully guard, uh, you know, I, the Rockets beat the Lakers with a lineup that had no one bigger than 6'8 in it. Um, and that's a matchup that you look at, like, how do you guard a team like that without size? Um, so, I mean, it, it is, I don't think it's as difficult as it would have been to do five, 10 years ago, just with the way teams are playing now, uh, everyone's stretching the floor, everyone's trying to shoot threes, and it, the issue is going to be rebounding more than defending, in my opinion. Yeah, um, you know, I th- I think too, you know, when I look at this roster, like, I mean, I guess this is true every year, like, you know, health, is, I mean, is really dependent on how you do, but like, I think especially so for the Pelicans, because I think, you know, if one of their top seven guys or multiple of their top seven guys is missing time, like, there's just not a lot of proven replacements behind them. And I mean, I really worry. And I mean, I kind of think this season depth matters more than it usually does, uh, mainly because of the pandemic. I heard, you know, Luka Doncic say like the teams that are going to be most successful this year are the ones that, you know, don't get ravaged by the coronavirus. And I kind of agree. So I think just, you know, some, some luck with that. And like, just especially being diligent, is going to be really important for this team. Um, I want to spend a moment to talk about Nicolo Melli, too. Um, Stan was asked about him yesterday. Yeah, big surprise that I want to talk about Melly. Jeff got a big smile <laughs> on his face there. <laughs> you are the leader of the cult following. <laughs> I'm like, I'm mainly a fan of Nicolo Melli. Like, he just makes me laugh as a person. You know, I kind of I separated from him as a basketball player. At least I tried to. Uh, does it look that way from the outside? <laughs> no, not at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think Melly's a funny guy. I mean, I think he's got some uh, perspective, you know. Um, I think 
you know, he's a guy who knows like, wow, it's kind of ridiculous. I'm just playing a game for a living. This is pretty sweet. Uh, I, I like those type of guys who don't take themselves too seriously. I liked, um, I like Stan's comment about how he, uh, he tried, he, uh, I think I can't remember if he said it was his wife that was like, yeah, let's go visit, uh, let's go visit Nicola over in Italy. And he was like, oh, I guess, I guess we shouldn't do that. I can't remember exactly <laughs> what he said. It was funny because uh, Nicola spent the off season in Italy, and uh, Stan didn't didn't get to visit him over there. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're they're getting plenty of FaceTime now. Uh, you know, welcome back to the states, Nicola. Um, can you go through a grueling training camp, also in the middle of a pandemic? Um, you know, what Stan said yesterday. I think he's a pretty big fan of his game, and I I don't think that was just lip service. Like. I I mean I got the sense that that was like pretty genuine. Um, you know, Stan predicted Nicolo is going to shoot the ball a lot better from three this year. Uh, last season he was at thirty three and a half percent on about three and a half attempts per game. Um, you know, usually guys when they come over from Europe, I mean they do shoot the ball a lot better from distance in year two. So I mean I think that's a pretty safe assumption. I I like Melly's game a lot on offense. Like I think you know, he's pretty good passer, like really good handoff guy. I mean, if that three ball is like you know, 36 or 37, then you're really in business out of that end. Like using him with Zion Williamson makes a lot of sense to me. Just where I have concern is on the defensive end, because when I look at him six foot nine, I think something like that, like he's a little too small to hang with five fives consistently. Like I think you get beat up on the glass a little bit if if Zion and Melly are out there together at the four and five. And I think at times, um, you know, maybe struggles to defend power forwards. I guess I'm just interested to see and how he can hang defensively and what types of lineup combinations, you know, Stan throws out there um, to kind of deploy Melly and maybe, you know, use his gifts on the offensive end. Yeah, it's it's. I, I've been trying for a while to figure out like the player that Nicolo Melli reminds me of, and I can't, I haven't been able to do it successfully. Like maybe it's like Draymond Green, like but he's like stuck in cement. Um, I don't know if if that player comp exists, but yeah, I, I think for the Pelicans, a team that just doesn't have a lot of front court players that can stretch the floor. Even with some defensive deficiencies, a, a guy who can go out there and shoot 38, 40% from deep three-point range is going to be valuable for them. Uh, and he has a fun name to say, so that helps. I always go back to that um, that shot he hit, that like moon shot he hit over, uh, who was it? Oh, that one in the corner. Why am I blanking on his name? Chris Depps. Yeah, this is a moonshot. And he was like 0 for 6 at the time in the game. <laughs> and, and he just, it, it was just, it went out of the frame and it forced overtime, I want to say. And I mean, just just for a guy who's going to draw out a guy like Kristaps Porzingis from the paint because they believe he can make that shot is a valuable thing for this team because you don't have that with Steven Adams. You don't have that with Zion Williamson. Even if he makes some shots this year, teams are going to be like, yeah, if you want to stay out there and shoot it, go ahead. I'll I'll avoid the bruise and we'll see what happens. Um, so having him there is 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 yeah. A I mean, I think part of you know being a shooter where defenses are scared of you and really respect you is just just willingness to pull. Um, like 
And, you know, last season, that was kind of one of Alvin Gentry's biggest complaints was that, you know, Nicola, like you're, you're open from three, like anytime you're open, you just have to fire it. Like you can't hesitate and like, you know, do like the stutter step and then, you know, make the extra pass. Like when you're wide open, you just have to shoot it. And, uh, I agree. I mean, you, you just can't pass up. There's those open threes. Like you're more often than not, just not going to get a better shot than that. So, you know, just willingness to fire is, is something I guess I'll be watching with him early on. Yeah. And he's an easy guy to root for. I mean, (laughs) he's, he's just kind of, he's just kind of a guy who seems like a really good locker room presence. He's a veteran on a team that doesn't have a lot of veterans. Um, so I mean, I think, I think he's a good, a good part of the lineup. I think Josh Hart is another guy who, uh, can we, we've talked a lot about Josh Hart in terms of being kind of that weird small forward, but um, I think he, I think he is. I think that's his role. I, I'm always surprised whenever I see Josh Hart in person how big he is because he doesn't strike me as a a big dude. But when you kind of stand next to him as a normal sized human, as I consider myself to be, I'm always like, oh man, he is. He's like legit. You know, six four, six five. Do you know what his only listed nickname on Basketball References? No, Josh Barkley. <laughs> yeah. I, I I like that. I like that. That's good. I don't, I don't even know. That's probably not even a real nickname. It's just like someone was like, <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. I, well, I did a little bit of research. Uh, I think it was Julius Randall who gave it to him. And, you know, they were they were kidding. Like, they're not like, oh, Josh Hart is like Charles Barkley, the round mound of rebound when it comes to rebounding. Um, you know, it was it was in jest, but uh, it's a pretty were they point. they they cross paths in in L.A., right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. His new nickname, uh, it, it, pro football, or I'm sorry, NBA reference or whatever, basketball reference, if you're listening, his new, Josh Hart's new nickname should be JJ's Landlord. <laughs> That's one of my favorite off-season storylines, that yeah. JJ Reddick is living in Josh Hart's house and he like reads him bedtime stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just picturing Josh Hart reading JJ like green eggs and ham before he goes to bed. <laughs> oh, the places you'll go. Yep. Some good Dr. Seuss. Um, okay, before we get out of here, um, I want to indulge in everyone's favorite preseason tradition, getting absolutely outraged about ESPN's player rankings. Um, every year, people just fall for this, and there's like this vitriol online about specifically the ESPN ones. Like, I think, you know, there are a couple of sites that have tried to do these, and the ESPN ones are usually, I think, like, among the worst. Um, I don't know how the formula is calculated. I was kind of browsing through them today and I didn't see any explanation of like how they come up with the list. But what I'll say is um, I think, you know, player rankings are like inherently silly um, because basketball is so contextual, like certain players pop in different contexts. And I think Anthony Davis is like the perfect example. You know, when you're asking him to be like your lead initiator and carrier franchise that, you know, that's not the role he's best suited in. Like he's best suited in, he's best suited as like an elite second banana, an elite finisher when somebody else can handle, you know, initiating the offense as he was last year. Um, but all that said, uh, did you, did you see anything on this list where you're like, Oh my gosh, this was just ridiculous. Well, first I would like to say, I'm pretty sure that the methodology for this is they like, Put, they decide what the top 100 is, and then they rank them in order of what will annoy people the most. <laughs> and that's it. That's the only thing that goes into it. 
Um, I thought like like for instance, Jimmy Butler was twelve and Jason Tatum was eleven. That's literally just there to piss off Heat fans who just watched Jimmy <laughs> Butler beat Jason Tatum in the playoffs. Like that's the only reason you would do that. That I don't even think I don't even think I think Jimmy Butler's too high. I think I don't think Jimmy Butler is twelve. I don't think, but they're right next to each other just to piss people off. Um, I don't know. I know. I, I know a lot of people got upset about DeAndre Ayton because there's a there's like apparently there's a DeAndre Ayton hive out there in uh, in Phoenix, but I I don't know. I'm trying to. I don't have a list up pulled up in front of me, but um, I mean Zion at 19 blew me away, just because you didn't have to do that. You could have had a very easy justification that we haven't seen enough of him and we're going to put him, you know, you'll put him in the top 100, maybe maybe in the 30s, saying we're not going to rank him higher than the number of games he's played. Um, but they didn't do that. Um, where did Ingram, did Ingram end up in the top 100? He must have, I can't remember. I think he was in the 30s or 40s. Um, but the Zion thing, I mean, that just seems to be a question of do you think he's going to be healthy this season? Because if you think he's going to be healthy this season, then um, I think you know nineteen is honestly perfectly reasonable. Um, we've taught, we've extolled his virtues enough uh, on a lot of these podcasts. We don't need to go down that road. And if you don't think he's going to be healthy, then that's just too high. Like that's all right. that question is to me. Um, I thought one of the interesting ones was Lonzo Ball at fifty four. That seems designed to piss off both sides. Like Lonzo, you said you said DeAndre Ayton has a hive. Lonzo Ball has hives. Like Lonzo Ball has entire bee farms back in California. <laughs> yeah, an like angry hive that is ready to sting you as 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 soon as they can. Yeah, I mean, just what he was able to do at Chino Hills, you know, as kind of the point guard of like the best high school team in the nation, and then balling out at UCLA. Like there are some folks in California who just sit on Twitter and search Lonzo Ball all day. Um, I'm sure they were. They thought 54 was too low. I'm sure some folks thought, you know, 54 was was too high. Um, he's a really interesting one because you know we we've seen it in flashes, but we haven't seen him put put it together for an entire season. And that's really my question from him. I mean, can we see you know what we saw from December to March last season for the entire 72 games this year? Yeah, like peak Lonzo Ball, I'll give you 54, but the. Lonzo Ball you see on most nights, no way. Is that the 54th? There's no way that the Pelicans are running out the three top 50 players in the NBA on a nightly basis if you watched them last year. It's just not, there's no way you can make that argument. Um, but but can he be that guy? I think so. I mean, there were games there were games I saw him, I was like, why can't he be this guy every night? Um, but yeah, I think it's another example of the the rankings just being like, yeah, we could put him down there and saying he kind of wasn't good last year. We don't need to do this. We don't need to go out on a limb for Lonzo Ball right now. But we're going to do it because it's going to get people angry. Yeah, I, I saw a tweet from like one of those NBA aggregator accounts that's like it was just kind of, you know, listing um, how some of these some of these stars like this this generation that I guess me and you have kind of grown up with. They're getting a little bit long in the tooth, like a lot of, you know, the game stars have been here for a while, like in, or in their thirties. Um, it seems like we're at this point where, like, the new generation they might take over pretty soon. Um, and I just saw like a reply with like 500 likes, like Lonzo Ball is primed to be the face of the NBA or something like that. Um, so people really ride for him, man. Yeah, everyone's trying to guess who 
you know, as you kind of get past this LeBron, Chris Paul um, kind of era, they're all kind of getting up there. Who's going to be the next guy? Who's going to be the next, uh, you know, superstar? And everyone's kind of settled on Luka Doncic and they're trying to find the others. But I don't know. I, so I, I, hate, I hate these rankings. So real quick, I got to say the one I was most outraged at, uh, unsurprisingly, was Nikola Jokic at number 10. I don't understand how he can be below Damian Lillard. I mean, if he's your best player, like you're probably winning 50 plus games, like back to back years, you know, he's led them to a top four seed in the West. Um, in his first trip to the playoffs, he got them within one game of the Western Conference Finals. The next year, you know, he and Jamal Murray, I mean, Jamal Murray is fantastic in the playoffs, you know, go to the Western Conference Finals. I, I just don't know how he's below Damian Lillard. Uh, but that's okay, you know. He's not marketable. Yeah, People want threes, not assists. That's why. He's yeah. just a goofy guy. That's why. I, I think that's the thing that they don't, like the methodology doesn't make sense because a lot of these rankings don't have anything to do with basketball, I think. Like they, they just like, oh, uh, Damian Lillard is exciting and people enjoy watching him. He's going to be higher than, than a guy like Jokic who's kind of odd and and doughy and throws weird baseball passes full court. Uh, I think that's that's a big part of these rankings. That's why they always come off strange. Have you seen any highlights from uh, Facu Campazzo, the Argentinian guard? Is that, that a real person? It is a real person. That the Nuggets signed to be like this, I guess, um, like, I don't know, second or third point guard. I mean, a, a point guard off the bench. I have not. Well, his nickname is The Magician. Uh, my advice to everybody is to YouTube some Facu Campazzo highlights. Uh, before the season gets going, um, he's pretty insane. Um, but yeah, man, I think it's going to be a really interesting year. Um, I have no idea if the NBA is going to pull this off. Um, we'll see, man. I'm I'm a little bit worried, but at the same time, a little. I'm pretty happy to have basketball back in my life. Yeah, by the time we record again, there will be real basketball having been played. Uh, starts on Monday. That'll be weird. We'll talk to you guys next week uh, coming off at least that, that preseason game Monday. Appreciate you guys for listening. Leave a five-star review. It, it makes a difference for us. And thanks. Peace, y'all.